0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 420, 420 folks on Sunday, October 14th, 2012. Mm-hmm. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek the show where you send in your questions, we provide some answers, you send in your tips, we provide some tips of our own, we share some cool stuff found around, and we all try to learn a little something new each and every time we come together, which usually is on Sunday evenings here in the uh, United States, East Coast time, here in the United States, East Coast time, Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun. Yes, you are John F. Braun. How are you, John F. Braun? Uh, I am
1: good, and I am warm. Well, that's good. And that's it, important because things are getting a wee bit chilly here on the East Coast, and actually, I think I heard there was some snow up in Maine. Oh, that's possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, A day yeah. or two
1: ago, I saw it on Instagram, I think, one of the people I follow, assuming they weren't posting th- a photo like, from last season. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I had to, you know, bring in the uh the AC and take the window uh, the the uh fans out and put the glass up instead of the screen. So You running your heat uh, yet? Oh yeah, well it clicked on. Okay. Yeah, it clicked on this week. So oh, yeah. uh so we're hunkering down here for
0: uh well, something cooler. That's good. Yeah, I turned on my heat. Our um our, our boiler always at the beginning and our boiler runs all year long to heat our hot water, but but for whatever reason at the beginning of the the um Winter, you know, when we actually run the heat in the house, uh, our, our house was retrofitted with, with uh, forced hot water heat about 25 years ago when, mm-hmm. when electric heat uh, was no longer economical for anyone. And, uh, and so, you know, there's water pipes that run all over the house for the this forced hot water, but it's, it's, it's kind of convoluted. It's not how you would do it if you had done it initially, because it wasn't done initially. And so. It, there's, there's inefficiencies in it in that um, and, and it's an older system. And so it's got some leaks and, and this that and the other thing. So when the boiler starts up every year, the pressure goes way down because, you know, we have the air and the pipes that needs to be refilled. And invariably there's water all over the floor of the, uh, of the, the boiler room. And so every year I think, Oh no, the boiler's got a leak and we're going to have to replace it. And then, and then once the system fills and it goes through kind of its gyrations, everything is fine for the, for the season. So I went through that again this year. So it's always really nice. Like, oh, gosh, I got to spend 10 grand. Oh, guess what? I don't. Woo! So that's good. You want to go to Scott's question, John, since I'm clearly rambling about stuff that this show <laughs> isn't normally about. Try to reel us <laughs> Clearly. Keys.
1: And I will start off here. So Scott writes. Hi, guys. So what I would like to do is be able to search for files on external hard drives that are not currently attached to my machine. I believe a catalog program is what I'm looking for. I found File Finder. And it's a paid program, but I was wondering if you guys know of other options to look at. Open source free, terminal foo, et cetera. Uh, I think we'll cut that off there. And I think I found something, Dave. So so the one thing many of you are thinking right now is, well, why can't I use Spotlight? And, you know, I'm asking this question to myself, Dave. And, sure. again, you know, let, let's... Uh, You know, add this to the list of uh, modifications that we think Apple should make to their stuff. But the problem right now is that Spotlight is a wonderful utility for indexing content of external drives. Here's the only bad news. The index is stored on the drive itself. So if the drive is not there, well, sorry.
0: Right. That's right. Yeah, because the index is stored with the drive, which actually is really handy. If you take a drive and move it to another Mac, you can instantly search it if the index uh, has already been created.
1: The bad news is, in this case, if the drive's not there, you don't know what's on it. And and actually, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind that somebody may be able to hack this. And actually, I, I included this in my reply to Scott. So one thing I said is, gee, wouldn't that be cool if you could take Spotlight and hack it so you could access uh, indices for drives that are not there? Maybe store them on the local drive if that was an option. But it's not, as far as I know. I couldn't find anything. So... Um, now, he mentions the program he found, which looks good, but, you know, it costo. Um Not that there's anything wrong has, with that. Oh, no, no, of course not. If it does the job, um, yeah, you should you should get a few bucks for, for that effort. But sure. I found something that was similar, Dave. All right. So a little research here, a little Google phone. I did find something. So this used to be called CD Finder, and now it's called Neo Finder. okay. And it most certainly will create a searchable index of your content. Actually, what I did is I used my, uh, I just bought a new toy. Uh, I'll quickly tell you what it is. If I haven't mentioned it before, but it's a, so I used to have the Lexar 16 gigabyte uh, USB flash drive, which has some neat features like backup software and it has an e-ink display and all that. Well, I decided the other day because I was running out of it because I'm using it for different things now. Uh, I bought the 128 gig version. Dude, it's 128 gigs. It was like a hundred bucks. It was so cool. So anyways, I, I was able to index things on this. Now, the only thing is that this program is a little different in that it's not, I, I would say it's not a full index utility, but what it is is a more a media indexing utility. So when you put, when you tell it to index contents of a drive, it will say, okay, you want me to index, uh, and I'll mention a few, but you know, pictures, uh, PDFs, text files. So it may not index everything, but depending on what and I don't think we got this from the question, what is your intent here? If your intent is to index a media library, then this NeoFinder program looks to be a a great solution. And I believe in the trial, they say they will index up to 10 devices uh, or directories. So uh, I tried it and it works. You know, catalog my pictures and stuff like that. And I think it can even work on metadata. So this is Another option, although a bit limited, that if if that's what you want to do, then then I think it's a, a perfect solution. Cool. Do you have any thoughts on this, Dave? As far as. Uh, no, well, I- the other thing that occurs to me is that uh, I'm sorry, I'll spit it out, but there were questions. <sighs> no network drives. Now we've looked at this as well. So so I guess this is a fish shake, but we'll roll this up into a fish shake about Spotlight. So number one is there's not an option to search for content that's not mount, uh, a mounted drive. Okay, that's bad. The other thing is that Spotlight as far as I can tell, even though you can set it to index a network drive, it really is not meant to do this ever ever.
0: Right. Oh, and that's it's, another sad thing to be about even- Spotlight. Even that is now almost impossible. I have been unable to get spotlight to index any of my like NAS drives or anything with, uh, right. with mountain line. And
1: I'll be yeah. clear, external drives, fine. NAS drives. And, and at one point I I think there was you a, could do a, it. A, yeah. a setting where you could set a setting in a list file and say, Oh, by the way, could you please index this network drive as well as the other things you're indexing? But at this point in time, uh, even, even if you set these variables, it doesn't do it. So, right. I'm not sure why. I mean, well, it, it's, it's a hard thing to do properly. So maybe they're just excluding things to make uh when it does work. Yeah. <laughs> a pleasant experience. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, and that's,
0: got. you know, that, that is one thing to remember, like it or not, that, that is Apple's MO with a lot of things is, is they are not afraid to limit functionality to that, which they know they can do right. And they know they can do it in a very intuitive way, and, and not drive you crazy. And of course that does drive people like us crazy because we know we're like, look, you know, I get that it might not work perfectly, but I want to have you index my network drive and I'll, I'll deal with the, the fact that it's not perfect. Apple's not interested in catering to that. You know, they, they just want to make it work perfect. And that's that. So, you know, so that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. All right. Moving on to Brian. Is that right, John? Indeed. Okay. Uh, Brian has actually a question that I never even thought to ask. And yet it's relevant. He says now that the original iPad cannot be updated with the newest release of iOS to iOS six, I need some clarification on updating my installed apps. Should I allow all updates as I always had? Do I peruse the suggested updates and only choose the ones that don't say updated for iOS six or do I stop updating altogether? This is quite a quandary as I do still enjoy the relic that is the original iPad. uh, And I use it all day long for work and play. Thank you. uh, Yeah. For usual. Uh, Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, this is interesting because I had completely, I knew that the original iPad wouldn't update to iOS six. And then I promptly forgot that. And I had all these great plans to update my wife's iPad to iOS six now. Uh, Obviously I'm not going to do that because I can't, but, um, but it does bring up the the question of what do you do? And Apple actually manages this quite well. Uh, You may have even seen this if you had a device that even, even if it was possible uh, to update it to iOS six and you had not yet, if an app required iOS six to run iOS five, would not download it. It would actually stop in the app store when you said, update this and it would say, sorry, I can't, uh, this app requires iOS six. You need to update to iOS six first. And Apple's very, very careful about how they make that work. And that's part of that whole, the benefits that we as, as users get anyway, out of the whole app approval process that, you know, a lot of people like to, to, uh, rant about, but, but it is a good thing. And, uh, and it does keep you safe. So, the reality is you can just keep doing what you've always done. Just be aware that there will be times when an app you try to update an app and and the thing says, no, no, you can't do that. Or, or even if you try to buy an app that says, no, no, this, this requires iOS six. Sorry. You know, you can't do it. And, and Apple will keep you, keep you safe on that. Uh, so, so I think you're, you're good to go, but excellent question. And I'm, I'm actually really glad you asked because you saved me some headache of trying to update my wife's iPad to iOS six, which wasn't going to work. So that's, uh, that's a double whammy there.
2: All
0: right, John. Uh, assuming you don't have anything to add to that, we get to go on to Carolyn. And, well, and I have something to add okay. to that.
1: Okay, all right, go ahead. Well, just, uh, it was a comment in the chat room here, what I'm seeing here, and I'm going to read it to people. Yes. <laughs> and I think it was a follow-up. Unlike Mac App Store, we'll download updates to iPhoto that can't run on current OS version. And I've seen this in the past. So in general, I agree with what you said, but, but every now and then it seems they get it wrong and that they're listing things
0: that don't work. We have seen that where so, the Mac nice. app store tries to update. That's right. Yeah. We have seen that. Yeah. 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 Yep. So in the Mac space,
1: it seems that they haven't got it quite right on the iOS space. I, th- I think they have. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. No. All right. So now, now you, uh, you are going to move us on to, uh, a triple whammy question from Carolyn that you have titled freeze, click and beach ball. <laughs> Because that's
1: what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And you'll see why in a moment. Here. So Carolyn writes, Hi, first. Love the show. Listen to it every night on my iPod. That's cool. Thank you. We have a few problems with my husband's MacBook Pro 2010 running snow leopard. And then she just hits him out. One, two, three. Number one, we can be surfing the web or on Facebook and the computer will just freeze up. I reset the uh PRAM, I think is what what we're saying here. And it doesn't seem to help. We have uh, we've restarted the computer and it's fine till it happens again so that's number one number one number two the trackpad won't open a program with a double click i have to right click and click on open and it will then open the program hmm. head scratcher and then number three finally iPhoto when it opens we get the rainbow <laughs> rainbow
0: ball of death that's the new it. name for it i love it the rainbow ball of death I like it. Well, it's been the spinning beach ball of death,
1: but, but I, I rainbow ball of death is certainly a, a worthy uh, alternative. It just spins and spins and nothing happens. We then have to force quit. I've uninstalled and reinstalled
0: the program. It still does it. iMovie works fine. We are stumped. Could you help? So I, yes. I like, I like these, these questions that come in like this because I always like to at first take a look and, and look at it holistically, if you will, to see if there's, any commonality to these things that would cause all of them to happen. Now, I think actually Ooh. in right. Well, I know it's good now in this case, I don't think that's the case. I don't think there is some common thread of a problem with her machine or her husband's machine that's causing this, but, but I do like to see, you know, it's good for the troubleshooting. I also like the fact that she baked three things in to about uh 14 lines of text, which makes it really easy for us because, and, and it's fine if you've got a lot to say say a lot but uh but you know it, it, uh, th- reading 3 pages is is not as easy as something distilled down like this so it was good but i'm rambling still go you're rambling
1: i am well in some cases we need more info i think this was the right amount of info so then the three answers i gave and then i'll uh, we got to follow up so answer number 1 and and this is where maybe we could have used a bit more Uh, description so the thing is freeze to me is a very subjective term what do you mean by freeze do you mean and this is my question like freeze as in the system is totally unresponsive or freeze in that you still have control but it looks like nothing's happening right so i said if you have some control you could use and this is a uh, you know secret uh three finger salute for the mac people but it's a command option escape if you hit that, I've used this on occasion. Sometimes you can you can do this other ways, but I always like this. And, and again, that's the secret key combination. Remember this. I'm not going to mention what it is again. Well, I could say it's command option escape. What you will get is a little window and it's the force quit applications window. It may not be titled entirely right because so basically what it'll show you is a list of all your currently running apps. Now, the cool part is if an app is not running or not responding you will then see that in this list and then you can then force quit it because that's probably if the app is not responding for a long period of time now the thing is some apps may not appear may appear temporarily to say not responding but if they do it for several minutes then you can assume that something's really wrong and this will let you force quit on them which again to me is no worse than restarting your computer at that point so, um, for number one, number two, uh, as far as not being able to do certain things with the trackpad, but being, de- being able to do certain other things, I said, what I would do is check. Actually, out you know what? I want to,
0: I want to go back. Sorry. I, I, am sorry to interrupt. I want to go back to, to, number, go one. to number one. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I've got some thoughts on this, um, yeah. If your Mac is totally locked up there, there is another hope before just turning it off because turning it off is a bad idea, right? I mean, it, it, listen, if that's what you have to do, that's what you have that's to the do. Worst. Right. And, and better than pulling the plug out of the wall is to hold the power button in for 10 seconds and then the computer will turn off and then you wait. And it is important to wait, especially if you have mechanical hard drives, just get wait 10, 15 seconds, let things spin down, then hit the power button again, start back up and you're good to go. But before you do that, uh, there is and I, I got to write an article about this because what I'm about to describe is really a bad thing to to hear. But so I'm going to describe it in what? general. Well, no, it's just a bad thing to learn audibly um, if you're not comfortable with the terminal. So I'm going to tr- talk about the process and then I will write an article uh, this week about it. the The concept is if you can get to another computer or device. And I've actually do this. I do this from my iPhone all the time with an SSH app. But uh, if you can, if you're comfortable with the terminal and you can terminal in to another Mac using SSH, I do this all the time when I get a Mac that's locked up, if I can get on the same network with it and I can connect to it, I can get to the terminal prompt and I can issue a shutdown from there. And the command, uh, and we've talked about it before, but the command is sudo S U D O because you have to uh, you have to be a super user for that. So super user do, S-U-D-O, space shutdown, space dash R, space now. And I know there's there's other ways of doing this. That's the one I've I've got burned into my memory. And that shutdown uh, command is sort of a, a far-reaching command. The dash R means actually don't shut down entirely, but please restart. And then, of course, now means do it now as opposed to some other time. And that saves my bacon a lot. It It does force quit your apps. Uh, but it, it allows the system to kind of shut down the proper way and come back up. So uh, so I'll write an article about this because it it, it it would be a handy thing for people to know how to do and, and be able to refer to.
1: Okay. So I will do so that. What you're suggesting is a way to use another computer to connect to the, the frozen maybe, computer. Maybe, maybe, maybe not totally frozen Correct. computer. Right. And try to nudge it in a certain direction that you can't because on the computer itself you've lost any ability
0: to, to do any input, whether by the keyboard or the mouse or whatever. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's like, it's my last ditch effort before I just power it down and, you know, uh, potentially lose caches and things that can get corrupted. And that's bad. So it's my last ditch effort, but I got to say it probably works 80% of the time because, you know, the, the Unix that sits underneath the Unix that is Mac OS 10, I should say, or OS 10 these days, um, is pretty robust, right? And, and it is, you know, it, just because the GUI on top of it has totally cratered and you have no way to interact with it. Oftentimes, if you've got a network connection, man, that, that machine is happy to hear from you. So um, not always, okay. though. Not not always. So sorry, but I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: No, it's a good thing to bring up because uh, what you bring up is something that is also hidden, which is uh, even though the Mac may appear to be wedged, there are still parts of it that
0: are listening that may be able well, to respond to if you someone. tell them to listen. Right. Exactly. You have, you have right. to go into sharing and enable remote management in order for that correct. to work. But, but um, I like it. Yeah, there no, you I've go. done it a few times.
1: OK, so question number two. Uh, the problem again was the trackpad would not open with a double click. I have to right click. The answer is go
0: to system preferences. Sorry, trackpad. I, I'm going to re- I'm going to correct myself because somebody in the chat room corrected me. Uh, and I'd like to welcome everybody in the chat room. It's not remote management that needs to be on for that. It's remote login. And then this will be the last time I interrupt you for question number two, John.
1: <laughs> apologies.
0: So, system preferences,
1: trackpad, point and click. And there will be a box. Secondary click. Make sure it's checked. And then for item number three, and this is a general tip, but the problem was, so um, she said she... Started up iPhoto and uh, got the rainbow ball of death. To me, that would indicate there may be a problem with. Well, not maybe not the app. Because it sounds like that's the uh, actually No, I'm looking here again. That was the path that she took. Well, maybe it's a problem with the app. And that's certainly a. Well, actually, I would say uh, I would initially not assume with a lot of problems that it's the app, but it's the data. So Just. My own personal view on how to solve problems here is a lot of times if you try to start an app and it's not responding or it's crashing or something like that, the app is probably not damaged, but it's certainly something to try. So tried that and it didn't work. What I suggested is the library, which is basically where all the iPhoto data is stored, the iPhoto library may be damaged. And there is an Apple support article. We will link to it. Uh, But basically how you get to it, is uh, or get to the good stuff here is when you're starting a iPhoto. photo, if you hold down command and option and then launch iPhoto, you will get a dialogue. that gives you a number of options of things to fix. And uh, you you probably don't want to check all of them. I think there's four to six items there and check boxes. I, I don't think you want to check all of them. I think you want to go in order, probably from the first on the list to the, the next and uh, go through them and, You know, it's tedious, I understand, but it's better than losing everything. So, but again, I I wouldn't check all of them. I would check one by one. And uh, in this case, the uh, score that we got back here from Carolyn, so I wrote her this quickly. She wrote back saying, thank you for the response. And uh, so item number one didn't solve it. So as far as fixing freezes, that that was not a uh, that did not help her. So there's still something weird happening there. But items number two, as far as where to find this in the system preferences, and item number three, uh, I believe we got an indication that that was uh,
0: successful. So so that's batting sixty six. That's pretty good. I'm I'm curious though, and and actually Kiwi Graham in the chat room had the same question. Her question was uh, number two was about the trackpad. You she couldn't double click from it but it was solved by enabling secondary click. Is that right?
1: Uh, what I got from the question is the trackpad won't open a program with a double click. Right. What I took that as is that a trackpad option was not working, but a right click option was working. Right. with Another device. So my, ah, what what I okay. was seeing is that a trackpad option was not enabled. That was otherwise available from another Pointing device and maybe maybe this was too short but that's how i read that question
0: okay well she did say that, that okay. your your solution solved it so yeah perhaps you yeah. you intuited that right yeah yeah yeah. okay no it's <laughs> hey that's great that's great so so per, perhaps uh her note was too short or at least it was too short for me but worked perfectly for you because i i missed that but that's okay that's good all right our first sponsor for tonight As always, very, very happy to talk about Gazelle at gazelle.com. Gazelle is the place to sell off your old Apple devices, your iPhones, your iPads, your MacBook Pros, your uh, your your, you know, your your iPhones, whatever you've got that you're not using anymore. Visit gazelle.com. They'll give you a price. It takes like three clicks to get a price for, for your device. So it's, it's really fast. You can do it right now. It doesn't cost you anything. And the cool part is you can lock a price in and they'll lock it in for 30 days for you. So what that means is, you know, now we've got rumors that there's going to be this announcement of something and it might even be, you know, it's coming up on maybe the 23rd. So, uh, Go now if, you know, they think that maybe it's going to be an iPad mini, but also there's some talk about there being uh, an update to the iPad three or third gen iPad, uh, maybe with a lightning connector. So if you want to hedge your bets and really that's all this is, is a, a a bet hedge is go to Gazelle, lock in your prices because you know that the prices that they're quoting you today are going to be higher than the prices that they're going to be able to quote you once this stuff has been announced. And so, uh, so you can lock that in today and then you sit and you wait. And if Apple does announce something that you want, that would replace one of the devices that you have. Perfect. You've got your, uh, your, your turnaround price locked in. You wait till you get your new one. You ship this off to uh, gazelle. Just make sure it's within 30 days of the original quote price. And, uh, and, What they'll do is they'll take it, take a look at it when they get it, make sure it well, First of all, that it is what you said it was and that it's in the condition you said it was. And if it is, they'll pay you either with PayPal or they'll write you a check. And then uh, if it's not in the condition, they'll actually email you and and tell you if it's better or worse and what the price is that they would give you for it. And if you like what you hear, you say yes. And then they do the payment. And if you say no, then they ship it back. It doesn't cost you anything because they paid for the shipping from you to them in the first place. Gazelle.com is the place to do all that. And uh, and you can check it all out. And with that, uh, I think it's time to move on to Tim. We have interesting questions here tonight. We actually we had so many questions come in this week. It was ridiculous, Uh, but it was great. So Tim writes, I have the new MacBook Air, uh, also a late 2011 17 inch MacBook Pro and an iPhone 4. They all run. The latest operating systems i have eight different imap email accounts the account settings are identical on each device they are all from several different isps but the server settings are essentially identical on each one why do they exhibit different speeds in receiving emails i'm only taking about uh, i'm talking about a 30 to 90 second difference why will email sometimes hang on the servers with the ox os 10 devices but never on my iphone in fact, why is the iOS device always the most reliable of all these devices in consistently receiving email first and never leaving any connections or mail hanging on the servers? I want to improve the reliability and speed of email delivery on my Macs to match my iPhone. OK, so uh, this is interesting. Uh, I actually see things a little bit differently on with my experience, but that's why it's good to for all of us to talk. iOS seems to be the least reliable for me, but. I know what's going on with with you here when the iPhone checks mail uh, a it only syncs one IMAP mailbox at a time where and and usually that's the inbox. Right. Uh, if you do go to another IMAP mailbox, IMAP mailbox like sent or drafts or trash or, you know, any custom mailboxes you might have created there. Uh, It will then sync that mailbox, but otherwise it's only syncing the inbox and only one at a time. Your Mac or Apple's mail on the Mac looks at all of your IMAP mailboxes simultaneously. So it's syncing everything every time. Uh, And you can see what your Mac is doing by going into mail, going to the window menu and choosing activity. And that may help shed some light on what is holding things up. Uh, what the problem is and, uh, and perhaps, you know, allow you, you know, give give you a little more information to help figure out what you want to do. Eight eight IMAP accounts is a lot. Uh, And with, you know, Apple mail syncing four mailboxes minimum for each mailbox right now, we're talking about, you know, 32, maybe 35, depending on how many uh, other mailboxes you have on each one of these. Uh, That's a lot for Apple mail. So my question would be, do you need eight accounts or could you use forwarding to funnel them all into maybe even just one account that you're checking uh, everywhere? And that, that may work, work well for you. Um, the other thing is, uh, and this is very specific to mail on the Mac. It's possible that you've got a damaged index for uh, essentially the database that is your mail store. Apple, Mail stores on your Mac stores all your mail uh, messages as individual files. This is done uh, a for data integrity, because that way, if one file gets damaged, not everything is damaged. but it also and primarily is done because Spotlight likes to search individual files, and so uh, so that's why this exists, and makes it really easy for Spotlight to interact with mail and do all that. But there is, but to be efficient, mail manages a single index of all of your mailboxes and that way when you're in mail and moving around it's not trying to read everything from the disk every single time it's just reading from this index and, and being more efficient about it because that's how computers work it's possible that mailbox is damaged or that index rather is damaged and uh, and we posted an article about about vacuuming your uh, your mail index but you can also just delete a file called envelope index which is buried inside your Let's see. Home library mail or home mail folder, I guess. No, home library mail folder. Um, but uh, but we'll pu- we'll put a link to this article in the show notes so that you folks have it too. But uh, that's uh, that's what that's what I've got on that one, John. Do you have any anything to add? Yes. Good. That now would be the time. <laughs>
1: so one thing I would point out here to increase. So, so the point earlier I think is, is totally valid. And actually I've noticed this Dave, because on occasion I will check my email on my iDevice uh, when I'm doing the day thing. Sure. And yes, of course, the way mail is structured on the iDevice, it typically will check one mailbox and not the whole big uh, collection. Uh, But, The thing I want to mention here is, Dave, one thing I found, and it seems relevant, is that on um, Apple Mail, you can enable, uh, and and this is in the uh, preferences on the mail account advanced, use idle command. From what I've seen, that can uh, perhaps increase
0: efficiency of a mail account's behavior. I'll give you that. Yeah, I, I'll I'll explain what Idle does because I I dug deep into IMAP here. Go,
1: I, I dug a little deep, and okay. and and it seems to be that the the consensus was if you enable it and the server supports it, it's better for your performance. But since you've dug deeper, I, yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Actually,
0: yeah, what what happens is, um, and and I'll state right out of the gate, the world's most popular IMAP server in existence does not support Idle. Um. Actually, maybe no. G no. Gmail doesn't support idle, right? I it, it didn't used to. It, it might. It might now. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Um. What idle does, or maybe I just turn it off because I don't like it. I forget now. But anyway, uh, somebody in the chat room hopefully will will uh, correct me or or find out if Gmail supports idle before we're done with with my little ramble here. But uh, what what idle is is normally when you when when mail goes out and and connects to the server. It goes and opens a connection, asks the server, says to the server, here's what I have in the mailbox. Remember, IMAP is a um, a syncing relationship. The mail is all stored on the server. And what you're doing is you're essentially syncing up with the server and making sure that what you have matches the server. And if you make a change, then that change was also reflected on the server. But changes that you've made from other clients are reflected on the server and then they're reflected down To you, So that's that's how this works. Um, And when and so when you connect mail does this whole big sync relationship and then closes the connection and sits and and then it'll, you know, either on its schedule or when you tell it to check manually, it starts this whole thing up and it says, okay, here I am again. Uh, Do you have anything different? Here's what I have in this mailbox. And it goes through each mailbox and one by one. And uh, and it's frankly a very inefficient process, but it's but it's very robust. And it makes sure that you've got, you know, everything in sync everywhere. Idle allows you to keep a connection open to the server. You, you go through the whole, the initial sort of gyration of, of syncing everything up, but you don't close the connection. And you sit there and, and you tell it, hey, I want to start an idle connection. And so now you've got this open connection between you and the server. And if something comes into the server and one of your mailboxes on the server changes The server will send a little command back down to your mail client saying, hey, uh, your inbox just changed. And so that then triggers your mail client to say, sync up my inbox, please. Uh, It's not quite as uh, it's not quite a push connection because you're not actually taking the contents from the server and just throwing them down at the mail client. You're simply telling them the server is simply telling the mail client with idle, hey, there's something here that you might want to check. And then it's up to the, the client to go and check it. And Apple mail does support idle as, as John says, John, did you look up if Gmail supports? I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but, uh, but, but really? that, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm app idle. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up here. It's just a simple. Yeah. Okay. So people are saying that it does, I guess I turn it off and, and, uh, and the reason I turn it off is I don't want mail coming into my, uh, mailbox all day because it would distract me. So I have my well, mail check once an okay. hour. Because to me,
1: that. the downside is if you don't have something like that, then you're polling. Right. And if we're having a discussion that's about, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Performance, it's performance. Right. Yes. Then enabling idle is probably if you can do it. The, the Yes. It, it, <laughs> so you, it's, bring, it's, you bring up a great point as far as the ADD aspect. Correct. Of it. do I it, want this information.
0: I, idle is good for the the performance of my mail app, it's not good for my performance in doing anything <laughs> else other than checking mail. <laughs> right. So, right. There that, you go. Yeah. And so Gmail does support idle. It, it yeah, it always has. Actually, I, I i just the the iPhone does not support idle. The iPhone only supports a, sort of a hybrid push thing uh, that is available out there, but idle is not efficient from a battery standpoint. And that's probably why, because you've got to leave a connection wide open all the time. And, and like I said, it's not pushing the mail down. It's just telling the client, Hey dummy, go and, uh, go and check mail. So, so yeah, the iPhone is not, uh, does not support idle and I wouldn't ever expect it to my, my trio did, which was why I knew all about this idle stuff years and years ago. Um, ah, of course, okay. it burnt, you know, burned up the battery, but that was fine. I didn't care. Alright, so that's good. Moving on to uh, moving on to Everett. Let's see how we do on this one. Oh, where am I here? Sorry. Everett. Take it away.
2: Hi, John. Hi, Dave. I have a question about routers. And um, I have at my church a Comcast uh, switch. So it's just a modem and then it has four Ethernet ports on the back. And then which is connected to a D link DIR six five five. And then we have two extenders which are the same you know, same one only it's an extender instead of a full on router. And we have two of those. All Macs and iPads can connect to the main router just fine. Uh, the extenders for some reason they they'll be very Gucci, and just kind of sometimes let you on other times it works fantastic just keeps going and works fine uh, all of the pcs just have issues period I don't know if this is another DNS thing I've tried different DNS servers and I don't think that that's it uh, Your thoughts please yes yeah, you bet
0: all right um you know I'll, I'll start because it's uh it's impacted us uh, in quite a different quite a few different places lately uh, i'll start by saying if you have ipv6 enabled anywhere in the chain it, turn it off uh for now unless you know you're using it and i know we said this in the last show and probably the show before that just turn it off i've i've seen that solve more weird network problems lately than anything else um so so that would be step number one although in your case i don't think that's going to solve it but it is a good no show, troubleshooting step number 2 um, Oh yeah,
1: no. I'm jump. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm okay, try right.
0: The bit here. But. Okay, so no number two. Um, when when I'm having odd wireless connection problems, the first thing I do, well, after turning off IPv6, is as a troubleshooting step to I, I kill off every bit of wireless security that exists. Turn off any sort of you know WEP. Uh, certainly not WEP, but you know WPA. Uh, any encryption, anything like that. Any MAC filtering turn it all off make you know just as a troubleshooting step i don't recommend that of course long term but turn it off and that way you know what you're dealing with make sure your wireless network behaves and that you can get connected and all of that stuff and then enable the security uh and, and you know that way you know if 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 you have a problem after you enable security but not before well okay clearly you you need to kind of find a different type of security to run that's compatible with all your clients so that's number that's number 2 um on the machines that appear to connect, and this is more of a question: uh, Are they getting addresses from the server, or does it just look like they're connecting to the wireless network, but they're not really passing any data? and And if that, if they aren't, try setting a manual IP address um, in your network's range, because that will rule out whether or not you're having problems with your automatic address assignment, which is called DHCP. Uh, It's just another good troubleshooting step. Uh, If it works when you've manually assigned addresses, then you know that you've got some problems with DHCP. And perhaps uh, I should have talked about this first, but I like to kind of go through the troubleshooting stuff. You're talking about wireless extenders. Are you, how are your extenders connected? Are you using ethernet as a backbone between them or are you just going full Wi-Fi and hoping to use the extenders as repeaters? Um, and and because of the the scenario and the environment that you're in, I will say that if you're trying to do the latter, which is using the them as Wi-Fi repeaters, at, what you may want to do as a troubleshooting step is go to the pastor and uh Ask him to see if he can put in a word with you know the the big guy upstairs to to help because that might be the only thing that is uh, effective in getting Wi-Fi repeaters to work. I I have never ever gotten them to work in an environment where it's actually made sense. You need to have you need to have these things connected via Ethernet. Having Wi-Fi repeaters in in line it, it's 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 fooey. I've just never ever seen it work. So uh, so short of having the pastor call in a favor, uh, I would if you don't have Ethernet uh, and you can't run Ethernet from router to router, uh, certainly you have power jacks near these routers and power line, which uh, we've talked about many times. But but for those of you that don't know, power line is a technology where you get these little bricks that you plug into outlets on the wall and then they have Ethernet ports on them. And those Ethernet ports are live, and as long as you have more than one of these things in your uh, in your house, or, or usually in even in an office building, um, you can run. Uh, it's it. They use the the power wires to send Ethernet signals, and they're actually pretty fast. Uh, certainly for helping extend Wi-Fi, they're they're plenty fast. Uh, I highly recommend buying the two hundred megabit per second versions. They do have 500 megabit per second versions, but in all of our tests that we've done, it's not a whole lot of speed difference between the two and, and it's more cost effective to go with the 200s. I've seen those average about 150 megabits per second when all is said and done. And that's not so bad, especially for extending wifi. And they're really easy. You just literally take the thing, plug it into the wall, plug ethernet in, go to another Jack, plug it in. As long as they use the same switch panel, they do not have to be on the same circuit. As long as you're on the same switch panel, they work really well. So that's my thoughts, but I know you're chomping at the bit, and I really actually have to say thank you for not interrupting me as, as uh, because I interrupted you like crazy. So, <laughs> well, I really don't have too much, actually.
1: No, I would oh, just okay. agree with you that wireless extending, for the most part, what I've seen sucks. Oh, yeah. Apple implements it probably as best as you can when you use their uh, wireless utilities, airport utility, but... I've I've never had good results, so
0: no. It says that it's working, but I haven't actually <clears throat> seen it expand the effective range of the wireless network. That you know, right? So
1: so so I think what both you and I are recommending, and we, we we can do this hand in hand, is if you have an option to extend your network, Wi-Fi is probably the least desirable option. Right. The most desire uh, to me, the most desirable is hardwire, Cat six cable. The second most and most convenient, which I know Dave, you love to death because you, you have it and it works, is yep. uh is power line. Right. So again, number one, if you're building a new place or you have conduits where you can run the cable, run the cable. Otherwise, power line, I guess, is is your next best choice because it's the next most universal cable that you're going to have running through most of your your house, right?
0: Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. If you've got, if you if you don't have sheetrock up yet, start running Ethernet cable like it's going out of style. Because guess what? It's not going out of style. You're going to want it down the road, maybe. And it's cheap to do. Really, really cheap to do. You don't even have to tie it off. Just you know, run it to. Uh, I mean, depending on what the building inspector says, sometimes they want to see it tied off. But it's low voltage stuff. It's not going to hurt anything. But you know, just tuck it into a into a you know a closed off junction box. Don't have check with your building code, but I'm sure yours is exactly the same as mine is on this next point. You don't want to run low voltage into the same, uh, junction box that high voltage is in. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, just run it. And I have it, you know, in like my office and stuff, uh, where we've been in the studio where we've built stuff out, I've got it running everywhere and I don't necessarily have it even tied off. I don't even have jacks. I just have loose wires in the, in the junction box, but it's fine. Works good. All right. Uh, All right, John. um, Shall I, uh, shall I read these questions from Tom and David here and uh, try and put them together and then have you deliver up. uh, You want me to soft pitch this one to you or do you want to, uh, you want (laughs) to sell? Well,
1: I think I have an answer here. All right. So so, yeah, go. Okay.
0: Yeah. So we've got a couple of questions this week, but basically they're both about problems with uh, the Mac app store and uh, I'll read Tom's, but, but, He's talking about one specific app, but uh, but we'll sort of generalize this here because that's what we like to do to help everybody. Tom says, have you guys heard of a problem Uh, similar to mine? Every time I run software update, it keeps wanting to update Xcode. Uh, it says some, it says it's something like 1.6 gigabytes, and then it seems to have trouble installing because the timer goes from one minute left to 15 minutes, then down to three minutes, then for longer, and then finally, perhaps it installs or it doesn't, and I'm stuck having to do it all over again. Next time software update runs, it wants to update Xcode again. I've done this three times now uh, before it said something's not right, and, uh, and I'm stuck in a loop. This is not the first time I've noticed this. Uh, it happened a week ago with another app that was stuck in the same loop. I know I'm not the only one with the problem. How can you help? And Tom, you're absolutely right. You're not the only one because we actually got a question from David that was almost identical to yours, certainly in what I believe the problem to be. But I don't know the answer. And so, John, I've teed this up for you. When the app store, the Mac app store, this is, uh, Mm -hmm. tries to update something and can't. It gets stuck in a loop. How do we break the loop? Because sometimes if you wait several days, the problem actually solves itself. So how do we go from waiting several days to waiting no time at all and fixing this problem? I don't know. (laughs) Well, you certainly left me hanging out to dry on.
1: No, (laughs) of course. No, I looked into this and a lot of people and actually we had some people. I think write in about this, but basically, you want to go to your user directory, library, caches, and then in that directory is a com dot dot app store folder. Ah, whatever's in there, whack it. Now it's funny because Dave, I looked and- at a lot of the files in this folder, and the 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 one that I think is critical. And that it's okay funny, to
0: it, you've well, I guess in the caches folder, I, it, it's a pretty safe bet actually to say. I was going to ask if it's okay to delete this stuff, but anything that lives in library caches, in theory, is deletable because the software should be able to recreate it. And if it can't, it shouldn't be storing it and here. You know, so, and Dave, I'm
1: glad you mentioned that because to, to me that brings up a general computing concept in that anything that's in a cache directory, and I would say. I'm going to make it more specific under Mac OS 10 or any Unix or any OS in theory. All right. Now I could be wrong, but, but, but to me, Dave, anything that's in a directory called cache. Yeah. Safe if to you delete. get rid of it because the purpose of a cache is to store data that would otherwise have to be downloaded from somewhere and storing it on a local disc. So to me, if your software, now there could be exceptions, but what I'll say is if your software is written correctly.
0: Yes. And That's a, a big it, jump here. No matter no, but what operating but you know system. What, it's not a jump when you're talking about Apple's app store, right? I mean, if, if any developer is going to get it right, it's going to be Apple. They're not going to store stuff in the cache folder that, that shouldn't be in a cache folder.
1: Oh, no, no, I'd say, okay, but... In general, to me, uh, as a general rule, if the software is written properly, deleting things in a cache folder yep. means that, it. oh, they're, they're gone. And if the app doesn't the, – the way it should work is an application to say, hey, I'm looking for data. Let me look in the cache, whatever, and see if it's there. Oh, it's not? Oh, or it's too old. And that's really the way it should work. Yeah. Either – Is it not there or it's so old that I better update it? But the whole purpose of a cache is to make access to data that you uh, hopefully access on a frequent basis. And that's what a cache is for saying, I'm going to let you load it off of the local disk rather than going over the internets and or whatever and grab it again, because that just makes sense. Yep. Cool. So, the deal here now, now rewinding so com.apple.appstore you could whack everything in there and maybe things will go back and, and and we've had reports i think that yes a lot of times whacking everything in this com.apple.appstore directory will fix things so if you have problems with your app store whack the cache files and uh
0: i, I um i will add one thing to your your steps go. there and reboot uh, I've often found, especially with, Ooh, especially, especially with Apple or log software, out, yeah. log out or reboot. Yeah. Either one. I, I tend to reboot because that way I know that there's no process running that, that uh, was relying on that data and perhaps had cached it in Ram. And you know, if, if there's some engine of the app store still running as a background process, it may not uh, just deleting that folder or the contents of that folder. Right would not necessarily kind of flush all that data but a reboot definitely going to do it. So I actually well,
1: you're you're pro- you, well you're right I think in the sense that if, so if you delete a file that an application may be using at the very least you should quit the app and start it again but I think a restart is a much <laughs> quicker way of guaranteeing that everybody's starting up again.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, I'll go with it. All right. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're getting, the show's getting a little long in the tooth here, but that's okay. Um, we have uh, a bunch of tips to go through that I think we're going to love to talk about. Uh, but I do want to talk about, let's, for the sake of argument, call this our second sponsor of the show, but it's actually us is uh, our second sponsor of the show, because I, I just want to take a moment uh, to say with great uh, joy that. As promised last week, and some of you may know this already, uh, certainly those of you that were active premium subscribers know this. Yes, the new premium engine is online, live, happy. It works. And uh, and yeah, we tested it like crazy. And I'm glad that we did because we launched it and there were very, very minor little tweaks that we needed to make, uh, to make everybody happy and solve the the kind of little edge case problems that we've seen, but the new premium is up. So what does that mean for those? it, It is exactly what we talked about, uh, probably about six weeks ago. So we'll, 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 we'll go through that again quickly here. Uh, the concept behind premium started when many of you came to us and said you wanted to support us directly. Um, we did that. Uh, we, we implemented that almost four years ago uh, by way of putting out extra episodes every month. And, and the, 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 those of you that contributed to the show as part of premium got access to those episodes. Uh, what we quickly found was that, and, and then we stuck with it for in that, fashion for quite some time uh, because it was sort of, well, we've made our bed. Now we have to lie in it. Um, No one, not no one, very, very few of you actually liked the idea of not having everyone here every episode. Um, Not only did it kind of go counter to the whole premise of the show, which is helping people uh, use their computers better, but there's also kind of this brain trust that we have here. And by limiting the people that hear each show, we're frankly limiting a lot of that, uh, that, you know, that, the the benefits of that brain trust. So for many, many reasons that never sat very, very well with us. Um, but we wanted to do something for those of you that, that choose to support us. And we really, obviously really appreciate it. And, uh, frankly, you know, any, any level of support, and even just you sending in your questions and and the communication with you is what drives us to do the absolute very best every time we come here and hit record. And uh, I know you've heard me say that before, but it it really is true. So uh, we had this opportunity with John's schedule changing uh, as it did, you know, with him picking up new um, his day, a different day job and and all this stuff. We kind of had to rethink our schedule anyway, as you likely know. And, uh, and so we, had this opportunity to rethink premium premium now uh, has some of the same benefits and some new benefits. So one of the main benefits of premium is that those of you that are premium members get the ability to email us at a special premium address that is prioritized. Frankly, it's prioritized more now than it was uh, in the old fashion, uh, though it was prioritized then too. Uh, So that's, that's benefit. Number one, we do try to answer everything that comes in regardless of the address that that is uh, something that was sort of a we we never really talked about, but uh, it, it is true. We, we do try to answer everything, uh, but we do prioritize the premium stuff because you're helping us, um, frankly, keep our lights on. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's good stuff we, we, and we appreciate it. Uh, number two is we want to give you something. Um, for your extended support, uh, perhaps is the right way to say it. And so that is that uh, for every hundred dollars that you contribute over time, you can do it all at once. And (laughs) far more of you have in the last week than I ever expected. Uh, But you you can do it over time and you can take however much time you want. Every time you hit that hundred dollar threshold, you then qualify for the next round of what we're calling Mac Geekab premium gifts. The gifts will be different each time we send them out. We're going to send them out at least once a year. Perhaps twice, depending on the volume, uh, but that depends on on you folks and how many of you there are and how you know quickly uh, you each hit your your thresholds. But uh, but the gifts will be different; they will be uh, in some way unique each time. And uh, and so the first ones are going to be sent out probably December ish. In the future, if we stick with once a year, it'll probably be more like the summertime that we send it out. But obviously, we want to you know we want to kick, kind of kickstart this thing. We'll have some artwork to show you about what exactly this is. This first gift is going to be shortly. But those of you that have already qualified, obviously, are are on board for the gifts. And to answer a question, uh, John, I know that we will regret uh, what we're about to say here, but we're going to stick with it anyway. And I don't mean regret forever. There will just be brief little moments where we regret saying that we will ship gifts to you no matter where you are. Uh, this is not limited to just people in the continent of the United States. It costs, it doesn't cost more. Um, and and it, like I said, I know there will be moments where we look at it and be like, wow, that doesn't really make any sense. Cause we just took all the money this person sent us and we used it in postage to get their, uh, their gift to them. Be that as it may, uh, we want to make sure that everyone gets to participate. So really? Yeah, we do. Awesome. I know.
1: I mean, uh, from what I gathered, I mean, you know, we have a you know wonderful, uh, you know, chat room and Twitter following. But I mean, do places like
0: Australia and New Zealand, I mean, do they can we even reach them, Dave? Of course we can. We live in the <laughs> modern world, John. So. So, yeah, there will be there will be this stuff. So how do you contribute? Well, the, the easiest way to start is to visit MacGeekGab.com slash premium. And you will see when you visit MacGeekGab.com slash premium Uh, That you have several options um, and you can actually kind of mix and match. There are two recurring options. One is what you are used to if you've heard about premium before, and that is uh, 25 bucks every six months. And uh, you can use PayPal now. That is a feature that we added back in with the new system. Or, of course, you can just bill your credit card, uh, which does not use PayPal. It, It actually goes through our own system. So if you're uh, fundamentally against PayPal, for whatever reason, you can use your credit card. We're not like backdooring that into PayPal or anything. We're, we're using our own uh, merchant account and everything for that. Like we always have. So, so that's number one. Obviously if you do that and nothing else, you will hit your gift uh, once every two years. And that's great. If you want to hit it every year, we now have a monthly plan of 10 bucks a month. Uh, And really monthly means it renews every 31 days uh, because the way our system works is it happens a day. So the six month plan, we actually compute the day. It's 183 days. Um, And, and the same with the, you know, like I said, the monthly is 31. So if you do the monthly plan, obviously you're going to hit your plan. You're going to hit your, your, uh, your gift level every year, or you can uh, contribute one time uh, at any, you can contribute any amount at any time. uh, Which means that if you're on, say, let's say you're on the biannual plan and you're up to 75 bucks, And you want to make sure you hit the threshold for the next one. You just come in, you contribute uh, 25 bucks one time that adds to your cumulative total. And there's this cool little thing that Adam developed that's uh, that's a nice little JavaScript sort of slider that shows you how much you've contributed. And it gives you a little progress bar and tracks all that stuff. And uh, it was really a pain in the neck uh, to develop. Not not really the bar, but, you know, the sort of the back end to make sure it it tracks everything right. But Like I said, we wanted to get it right. So that's it. That's how it works. Um, I'm sure there's going to be questions. I think we've actually answered a lot of those questions throughout the process, wherever you are in the process, there are some little tips and things, but uh, of course, if you have any questions, you know how to find us. And that's, uh, that's that, uh, we certainly, uh, you know, th- we, we rolled this out this week, uh, to people who were existing premium subscribers, um, sort of sort of a funny thing the system we had just, we wanted to roll it out to maybe you know like a dozen of you and then get some feedback and then maybe a little later in the day another dozen and get some feedback and then you know and then open up the, the floodgates but the system had uh ideas of its own and it sent out an email to everyone saying that your subscriptions were all canceled which of course wasn't true awesome oh yeah Whoops. it was great. Ah, you know what it was i good. saw that yeah it was. Hey. Good. It's fine. It yeah, got- The thing, Dave,
1: Dave, I remember this back on a cartoon and I, I just want to mention it because I think it's relevant yeah, and it'll help yeah, you a bit, but it's a cartoon of one guy explaining computers to another. And he says to one um, computers are devices that allow small human errors to be turned into a uh, huge tragic mistakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: I don't know if that was the exact wording, but it implied that if if you screw something up and you have a
0: computer, it can just magnify. That's right.
1: How so, how these
0: things happen. Well, so I'll tell you what happened because we're all geeks here and, and and we talk about technical problems. So what we did was we imported for those of you that were existing um uh s- subscribers, we imported your most recent payments in. Okay. And and this was anyone, as I said, it, you know, it was going to be for anyone that was an active subscriber as of September 4th, which was the day we cut over to the new system. And that included people that that uh, that, you know, had renewed since then. But there was at, between September 4th and this past Thursday, there was no way to sign up for a new subscription. That engine was offline. Um, so we took that we imported everybody, but we wanted, as I promised, we wanted as we promised, we wanted to make sure that all of those people that had been supporters up through. Uh, we're able to more easily get in on this uh, initial mailing, uh, initial gift mailing that that's going to happen. So we went in and credited everybody with a a $50 uh, credit to get everybody up to 75 so that your next uh, payment of of 25 would, would put you over the the limit. And, uh, and the way, and so we had to kind of figure out, well, how are we going to do this? What are we going to, how are we going to make this $50 payment happen? And the easiest way and the most, Uh, robust way was to create a one-time $50 subscription that everyone uh, that we just assigned to everybody. Now this is not a, it's so it does. It exists in the system, but you can't find it. It's not publicly accessible. No one can buy into this. And, and it's just this one-time charter thing that adds 50 bucks and that it served its purpose. And we had to pick a date. Adam said to me, well, when should this subscription expire or have expired? Well, we certainly don't want it to expire in the future because then that's going to screw up people's ability to, subscribe again and we don't want that so i said pick september 30th that way it's in the past it's not in october and and we're fine well when the system woke up the next morning as it does every morning at about 5 a.m to process everything it looked and it said hey there's you know all these hundreds and hundreds maybe thousand people that uh that didn't have that have an expired subscription so we need to tell them that it expired and so it blasted out all these emails to all of you And, uh, but it was fine. You know, we, uh, we made it through and, and, uh, and the system's working great. So it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It just, we didn't, uh, we didn't think about that in advance. So it's fun anyway. So that's that, that's premium. Uh, if you are interested in contributing, if you can contribute, we would love, uh, the support. Obviously it, it, it makes it possible for us to do what we do here and we really appreciate it if you can uh for whatever reason or choose not to uh that's okay too please don't stop listening you know we're we we're, 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 the door is wide open for uh for everyone and uh and that's that time to get on to tips right John
2: yeah all right
0: uh let's see it is uh yeah we got time here all right um so <laughs> Funny uh, timing here. I actually didn't plan it this way, but I like it. Uh, one of our premium listeners said that he wasn't getting uh, all of the emails that had been sent out because we sent out various emails throughout the day on Thursday saying, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. You you got this thing that was canceled. Don't don't believe it, but uh, we'll be back with more later in the day. We just need to fix a couple of things. And, you know, so there was, there was a stream of emails that were, that were kind of happening throughout the day as, as you, those of you that are premium know, well, uh John, Listener, John, not you, of course, John uh, said, I'm not getting these. And my advice to him was uh, to check your spam filter. And he said, wow, thank you for asking me to check my spam filter. I had lots of emails uh, that are not ordinarily called junk that were there, including, of course, the MGG one that uh, that I'd missed, but also one business email that I had spent two days looking for in hard copy and digital and uh, more emails even from myself that I added as a BCC. And so this is, I have it on my calendar. Now, Google, I I use Gmail or Google apps for domains, uh, but it's Gmail to manage my spam. And that means that anything in spam that's older than 30 days gets deleted forever. That's an automatic thing that you cannot change in Google. So I have it on my calendar. Every two weeks I go in and I look through my spam folder and I get tons. I probably usually have about 5,000 items. Uh, in my spam folder which is a function of having an email address um my my dave at macobserver.com email address existed before spam and so you know it what was, was that address again dave oh it's david yeah. macobserver.com it's no it's no trust me it's <laughs> no anymore. secret it's no secret yeah uh um, well same with mine <laughs> mm. right yeah you're in the same boat right so um so I go through once every two weeks to manage my spam and the way that I do it, John, and I've, this has worked really well for me is I go to my spam folder. I do this on my Mac because I can't do it on the web because you can't sort, uh, in Gmail in the spam folder by subject, but, uh, I sort by subject and I do that just by going to my spam folder and clicking on the subject header, which then sorts everything by subject. And I go to the top and it's great because there's a lot of spam emails that all share the same or similar subjects. And it makes it really easy to blast through 5,000 emails. I can get through them in probably, you know, 10 minutes, maybe 15. Um, And I go through and I find the ones that are not spam if there are. And occasionally there are. uh, And I move those just to my inbox real quick. And then once I'm finished, then I go on the web to Gmail and I tell it empty my spam folder folder. And uh, it does. And then and then it starts filling up again almost right away. It's, It's great.
1: Yep. Yeah. I have, um, 1600 and you, you know, the best ones are the ones where the date sent is in the future.
0: Yeah. I don't even that look that at the dates. Easy. I know.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It well, happens. it's one view, but I look at that and I'm like, yeah, if, if you're sending me something in the future, you, yeah, it's probably BS. Yeah. Yeah. probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, That's
1: that, or a call from John Connor or or whatever, right? Yeah, that's right. I think it's BS.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. What else we got? So that was that. Um, Kevin and and actually, we got an email from Craig tonight that uh, that basically says the same thing. Um, Kevin had an issue with his MacBook, and uh, it was his his late two thousand nine white MacBook he'd been having lots and lots of weird overheating and performance issues with it. And, uh and so he said, you know, based on, uh, on everything that had gone on, he had brought it in uh, to his store. I think at least three times, maybe four times since just July, they replaced the battery, they replaced the AC adapter and they replaced the logic board on three separate occasions. Um And, He says, uh, just yesterday Mm -hmm. when I picked it up after the logic board repair, it conked out again with a kernel panic and shut down after two hours. Uh, They were not exceptionally friendly in uh, trying to accommodate me bringing it back in. He says, I think they were as sick of this problem as I was. He says, uh, when I dropped it off Sunday at my store, I gave a typed letter for the uh, genius admin, which I'm sure was uh, also read by the store manager. My request was simple. I've had similar issues with this MacBook since July. The three repairs have totaled $700 in costs or two thirds of the original costs. Uh He says, I don't feel right in asking for a new 13 inch MacBook air because I know the true replacement of the white MacBook at nine 99 was the MacBook air 11. I would like one of those. He says, and then I was amazed. The local manager called me at 8 PM. They were going to one up what I thought was a fair resolution. They would give me the 13 inch MacBook air, uh, at a $1,200 value, it was new in the box wrapped and good to go. And, uh, and again, you know, we got a st- a similar story from Craig. The moral is if you've been through many, uh, recurring repairs with your machine, and typically it has to be at least three for you to even consider doing, uh, what, what Kevin or Craig has, uh, Apple is, more likely to replace that for you. But the trick is you have to ask. I, I don't think I've heard of a story. Uh, and John, you and I have, have been there. You've had a, you had a laptop replaced. The very iMac that I'm podcasting on was replaced by Apple, um, for some weird firewire problems from its, its predecessor. But in, in all of the cases that that we've experienced personally in that, uh, and that we've heard about from all of you, you just have to ask. And obviously you'd have to do it politely, but, but clearly not, not, not even necessarily firmly, but clearly don't beat around the bush. Just ask the worst that's going to happen is they'll say no. Uh, but more often than not, if you're at the point where you feel like it's time to ask, they'll probably say yes. And you can either do it in the store as as uh, Kevin has pointed out or what John and I've done. And I believe what Craig did was call up, um, you call up Apple's main number and ask for customer relations, not Apple care. They'll get you to customer relations eventually. But uh, did but you say customer relations? Dave? I did. I said, customer I just relations. want to make sure
1: that everybody heard that because yep. that is very important in this case. I'm mm-hmm. not just interrupting to interrupt. You. No, it's like, good.
0: It's good. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the one it's that enjoyable. interrupts to interrupt tonight. That's right. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's um. so just, you know, at the heads up, FYI, as it were all right um and document
1: your case which it sounds like we we had here so so another tip i'm going to (laughs) interrupt sorry but uh, with with any of these whenever you're looking for support please keep your receipts keep and especially get the name get the id whatever of the person but keep meticulous records and i think uh, in this case it sounds like that's what happened so yep you know, don't call up and say, yeah, I talked to you before and yeah, no, no. Right. You know, say I spoke to so-and-so case number, whatever, if you can get it, you know, always get a number that yep. that always helps because it may be in a computer somewhere and then, then you've eliminated a lot of a uh, uh, hassle. That's right. So
0: that's right. Continue. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good. And, and don't lie. Um, they, they are going to be able to see, even if you call up on the phone, they're going to be able to see the whole history. So, um, so you know, just tell the truth, and because uh, if if you know if you start embellishing too much, then uh, then they're just going to cut you off. So well, all right, you know, that's good because I never lie. That's right. You don't want to get caught doing that. Um, <laughs> Richard writes, uh, in show four fourteen, a caller had a tip for reminders on the iPhone where you repeat a reminder. Well, I found a way to get customized reminders that are not available in the options under the repeat tab. It's by using Siri. If you ask Siri, for example, remind me to take my vitamin every other day, Siri will create a custom reminder that you can now see in the reminders app. It will even say, remind me every two days or remind me every other day starting today or remind me every other day starting tomorrow. I believe the custom reminders are endless. I haven't tried them all, but everything I've thought of works. Uh, I thought this was pretty cool. I thought it was cool, too. That's why we shared it. Thanks, Richard. Good stuff. I think that does it, John. I think it's, uh, do you have anything else to, uh, to add here before we, before we talk about the, about, uh, about the van? About what? Well, we're going to, we're going to bring in the band. Yeah. We're at, you know, we're at the hour and 12 minute mark. That's probably 10 more minutes than we plan to go, but you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to take the time to talk about, uh, the premium things. So that's our time. And mm-hmm. you know, we didn't want to cut things out of the show to do that. So, Anything to uh, anything to add here, my friend, before we wrap this up and call it a week? I don't know. I got new toys. You Not want to talk about your new toys?
1: I no, can, no they're, I... just Ele- they're just LED lights. So I went to the Home Depot today. I got two backup propane canisters because <laughs> I had another grilling disaster. When you're going to have two canisters, you probably want to have them both full. So... But number two, I got some yeah. new LED lights, night lights, because the old ones used LED bulbs that hummed at sixty hertz. And if you know what that's like, it sucks. So anyway, so I got some new night lights. But no, the big thing was I, I'm ready for the winter grilling season, Dave. I got awesome. two two cans of propane. We are grilling up the storm here.
0: Yeah, I always uh, that you know the I mean it, uh, this is. Now outside of the Mac realm, but I I have always been uh, a fan of having a second and I'm sure you're talking about just the 20 pound, uh, uh, small little propane tanks. Because nothing, I always have a second one that is full because nothing's worse than being, you know, halfway through grilling something and boom, your tank dies. And I'm now to the point where I can swap that thing out in about 45 seconds. It's like, we're like a pit crew, my son and I now. And it's like, boom, I'm going to do this, you're going to do that. And of course, you got to be careful because the grill is blazing hot. So you got to make sure not to lean against it or whatever. Yeah, my problem is I don't remember to
1: fill up the backup tank.
0: You got to fill up the backup. That's the trick. Remember, yeah, you don't want to get caught there either. That's right. All right. Well. The show. How
1: do you contact us, Dave? You you may be asking yourself this, and I I certainly am as well. So one way that rumor has it you can contact us is to send us an email at feedback at MacGeekApp.com. That's feedback at
0: MacGeekApp.com.
1: And Dave, you are absolutely correct that it's feedback at MacGeekApp.com
0: unless... Unless it's you're a premium, premium. member, and then and then you have your own address to, uh, to to send things to, which is premium at maciekav.com. That's right. Any one of you can call us here. We, you know, maybe we should set up a separate uh, voicemail number uh, for the uh, for the premium folks. That's uh, that's something I've always kind of had really? in the back of my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because otherwise, you know, something might get uh, a voicemail might get lost. Um, if you use the Mac Geekab app, though, uh, which you can find in the App Store. You will be able to uh, put in your premium credentials, and then any feedback you send us from the app gets automatically routed to the premium uh, uh, address and the premium mailbox here, and then it also uh, tags it with what show you were listening to, if it's in response to a show, and uh, makes makes for a great experience. And there's new updates coming to the app. In fact, Corey uh, Imdick, the uh, developer who has, uh, over at Suites who's been Uh, developing the app was just in the chat room earlier tonight, and he was testing the live streaming uh, features of the new app, as well as some other stuff that's going on. So look for that in an app store near you soon. And the update, of course, will be available to everyone who already has the app, too. Oh, and I forgot to send out a push message tonight. I got to get that into my habits so that you'll get push messages when the episode um, comes out. Or when uh, uh, well you will get one. Somebody remind me tonight to do that. But uh you will you'll get a push message when we start the live stream too, unless I forget like we did tonight. So I just gotta get it into my routine. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh tool geek, though, is the number for any one of you to use now. And uh Geek John is forty-three thirty-four Five. Perfect. And you can yeah. uh, you can Skype us at Mac You can follow us on Twitter. The show itself is Matt Geekab. He is John F. Braun. Pilot Pete, I saw Pilot Pete the other night for the first time. You in did a, in a long is time. Is he still live? Lo- I've he's been great. heard from him. He you know, oh, Pete he, he's Pilot Pete on Twitter. Um he uh he his his um um his job schedule changed as a function of, of, of some kind of uh, you know, career path stuff that he's doing. And, and it's just made it so that his schedule is a whole lot less flexible than it used to be. So, uh, so but I, I, I'm hoping that we'll see him here next weekend uh, for the show. He has not been on a show since we started doing the regular live stream, you know. And that's crazy that's crazy to me it is. I know. he'd love it I know yeah yeah of all of of all of us he would love it because he could be there and interacting and, and uh, bothering us with, with uh, different little tidbits of information and, and it would be fantastic so uh, he's Pilot Pete of course uh, I'm, and I'm Dave Hamilton on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook John where do you find us on Facebook
1: facebook.com
0: slash um uh Mackie Mackie Geek Gab. Gab. that's right ah <laughs> yeah, bull. Uh, that was close. And then uh and you can find us uh, here uh, I believe next Sunday we're on the evening schedule. So that will be uh mm-hmm. slash stream. The live show starts about nine PM Eastern. John and I sync up about eight thirty PM Eastern the live stream comes alive. John and I have a what often is a kind of a non-public chat for about ten minutes as we say hi to each other for the uh-huh. week. Uh-huh. That's right, ho ho. Um, and then, uh, and then we and then we turn on the stream and go through the pre-show and and talk to you folks and. Uh, and all that But you know Feel free to join the chat room Well frankly Whenever you want It's always on uh, and, and actually I've seen uh, I've had little conversations With folks I, I tend to idle in there During the week When I'm at my desk So if somebody pops in It's actually kind of A fun little thing So And I've seen you folks Interact with each other too Alright clearly I'm rambling tonight John So let's uh Let's wrap this one up, shall we? Ramblin' Rose. Well, you know, it could be worse, right? We are are here to talk. (laughs)
1: It could always be worse.
0: It could. (laughs) We would like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this show to AAC, for doing all the great artwork in the app, and uh, for just being a great guy. So thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Go ahead and listen to his podcast, We Have Communicators, all about iPhones and iPads and iOS stuff. It's... uh, you know, it's it's a takeoff on the old Star Trek thing and that we're we're actually living in the future now. We have if you you know, if you hold your iPhone in your hand, it's like a communicator, man, from Star Trek. It's cool. So that's that. Uh, you Cashfly, of course, provides all the bandwidth for us. I'd like to thank them. The podcast marketplace includes Gazelle, as we told you about here includes smile software with pdf pen for iphone so cool to finally have that and bare bones with bb edit i use it every day i couldn't live without it fantastic stuff john my friend we've given countless bits of advice here but do you have one last thing that you could share